Welcome to episode six of the Flower Pot Pen podcast. It's a little late this time. I'm organising my days to fit in coming into this little studio here at the Commercial Hotel Tulang. It can be a bit difficult, but I'm here now. Right. Autumn's still off to a good start here in the Western Districts. We've had some absolutely glorious days, sometimes starting off with incredibly beautiful sunrises. One of the things I love most about living in this part of the world is the huge open skies. Although I've been in some desert-like places where the skies are somehow bigger, the richness of the colours here is something different. Today in Botany Bits, I'll talk a little about the changes that sometimes happen in the naming of plants and also head back to talking about some changes to plants being attributed to climate change. And in my book review... I'll talk about a book written by a person I was very lucky to have as a teacher for a couple of subjects at Chisholm TAFE in Rosebud when I was doing my horticulture studies. But first, I wanted to muse a little on what gardening is and who gardeners are. Right, today, um, I've got a bit of a conundrum here where half of my notes are on my laptop and the other half are on my little bits of paper with my scribbled handwritten notes. So maybe a little bit of confusion, but that's not really anything new, is it? Okay. So just talking about what gardens are and who gardeners are. Okay. Right. Here we go with my notes. Gardens for the purpose of aesthetics as opposed to being functional areas that would feed your family and probably contribute to the health of a whole tribe or village have been a part of human society for centuries. Earliest records of gardens for aesthetic purposes or more likely religious purposes show humans have curated collections of plants through the pre-Christian era history in places such as Mesopotamia, China, Egypt and some South American cultures. Um, I'm happy to receive any comments on this if you've got some information you think I'd like. Um, comments can be left on my website, theflowerpotpen.com. So without going through the history of gardening, which is a particular interest of mine, we can say that having areas dedicated to the cultivation of ornamental plants has been a part of the human condition since forever. Another book I'll be reviewing in the future podcast is Gardens, an essay on the human condition by Robert Pogue Harrison. He takes a look at what gardens mean to people and the importance of gardens to humanity. Uh, it's quite thought-provoking. Um, reasons for gardening. Um, um, there's so many, so many, um, many and varied. Um, in my years involved with gardens and horticulture, I've met many different types of gardeners, some with a passionate interest in cultivating and propagating, some that just like their houses to be complemented by a tidy collection of... Um, lawn spaces and plant spaces, some people who are a bit scared and confused by plants, and some who just crave a connection to nature. Myself, I think I'm a combination of all of the above. 
um, I have to admit here, uh, as I gazed out on my rain-soaked, weed-infested garden before recording this, I did feel a little guilty of not taking care of my plants a little better. Although the good thing about plants and our gardens as a whole is they take a lot of neglect um, to become beyond repair. So I guess the reasons people garden are managed and varied, as I've said, but I think in the end, the activity of um, the actions of getting outside in a garden space and performing tasks to keep plants alive and thriving is all part of staying connected to the natural world, even if you don't realise that's what you're doing. I would add here that being connected to the natural world doesn't even have to be achieved through going outside. Caring for and cultivating plants in an indoor environment is doing exactly the same thing. Tending to potted house plants or even a container garden on the balcony of a city apartment is doing just that. Um, and the benefits of having indoor plants are well documented. Um, these are all topics for further discussion. Um, I'm seriously going to have to write a list. Anyway, that's enough musing. I'll get on to my book review. As I mentioned, this book has been written by a woman I was lucky enough to have as a teacher for a couple of subjects at Chisholm, Tafe and Rosebud. The book is called Pruning for Flowers and Fruit, written by Jane Vaku Levickius. I really hope I've pronounced that okay, Jane. It was published by CSIRO Publishing in 2010 and is widely available in both print and as an e-book. I'll be quite blunt and say this is my first port of call if I've got any questions regarding pruning, especially fruit trees. It's an extremely comprehensive book with details and instructions, detailed instructions, easily followed diagrams, clear photos with detailed explanations of what they show. The plant information in this particular book is aimed at cool temperate to subtropical climates. But as most of my listeners are located in Australia and New Zealand, I feel like it's a book I can wholly recommend to all of them. My listeners in more northern climes might not get as much use out of this specific plant information, but the botanical and technical information is still spot on. The book covers fruit trees, deciduous trees, evergreen fruit trees, citrus, fruiting shrubs, berry fruit and cane berries. I can wholly recommend it. Right, that's my book review. So now I am heading on to Botany Bits and heading back over to my laptop for my notes here. Okay, now an Instagram post with a picture of a plant I know as Plectranthus argentatus had a caption underneath with its new name, Coleus argentatus. This made me think of how and why plants are named what they are and why are they sometimes changed. What happens is a newly described plant is given a name using the system of binomial nomenclature. Try saying that ten times fast. Basically, and without going into too much detail, this system, formalised way back in 1753 by the scholar Linnaeus, gives everything a species name and a genus name. Classifications go back much further, but that will be enough, far enough for this discussion. 
all plants are grouped according to their physical characteristics. As science has developed, we've been able to group plants more specifically. Hence, some plants which have been grouped together for a very long time have now been able to be categorised to a much finer degree and their names are changed to reflect this. So going back to the Plectranthus example, this species group, oh, the species groups, Coleus, Plectranthus, and one I've never heard of, Solenostemon, have long been queried. Once again, I won't go into details because those details include words like phylogenetics, monophyletic, and cynopomorphies. Okay, but it has been determined that this particular plant is more closely aligned to coleus than plectranthus. So, hence the name change. Uh, every so often this will happen. I'm sure botanists only do it to confuse us. But the changes take a while to filter through to the general public. So often the old name will still be used and will be noted on documents. So don't worry about it too much if you hear a plant being called something which you know to be an old name. Uh, you could um, try correcting people, but yeah, good luck with that. Okay. Now, the other interesting botany bit I was reading this week is about another study on how changes in climate are affecting the flowering times of some forest undergrowth plants. The study, done by Francisca M. Willems et al., was published in the New Phytologist publication, 28th of April 2022, and is entitled Forest Wildflowers Bloom Earlier as Europe Warms, Lessons from Herbaria and Spatial Modelling. So, study was done measuring the flowering times of forest plants against the flowering times of herbarian specimens collected early last century. Um, the study of cyclic and seasonal natural phenomena is called phenology. That's P-H-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. And it's done most often with plants and animals in relation to climatic influences. What the study has shown is that flowering plants in European forests have their flowering times closely linked to the growth of tree canopies and foliage to make the best use of available light for their own purposes. Now, these flowering times have altered and are now earlier than what they were in the early 20th century. I suppose we can only wait and see what happens from now on and just keep studying. I'll put the link to this study in show notes on my webpage, theflowerpotpen.com, hopefully alongside links from my previous shows. Uh, that's something that's been on my list of things to do for a while to um, keep everything update and informative, but it just hasn't happened, but it will. And I still haven't fixed that. Okay, well, that's it for today. Please take the time to subscribe and review this podcast as any reviews boost the ratings of this show. I'm a big girl. I can take negative reviews, but be nice. This podcast has been recorded on lands traditionally owned by the Kurewarung and Gunditjmara people at the Commercial Hotel Arts Hub. Thank you to Les and Jim Williams. You've got to check Jim out on YouTube and Facebook. 
Till next time. Bye.